0: Welcome to another episode of The Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, join me and my co-host Alex Ross as we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss a rideshare service for patients, how school start times impact adolescent sleep, and early routine screenings for type 1 diabetes. Let's wrap things up. This is episode... 82 for the week of April 26th I'm Matt Moneypenny and I'm Alex Ross before we get started our diagnosis code of the week is Y93.12 activities springboard and platform diving
1: I'll admit it was pretty embarrassing but this this actually happened to me oh yeah go on well you know we're in Ohio and so we had our our false summer just a week or so ago right it was like 85 mm-hmm. degrees it was beautiful. I was ready to go swimming, and I don't know. I just kind of assumed that since it was so warm, the pool would be open. And so I right. went down to the local, um, it's, it's like a splash pad kind of thing, but it's got a pool with the diving board. And, you know, I mm-hmm. walked right over there and didn't even bother to give it a second glance. Hopped on that diving board, did a triple backflip, and, uh, hit the bottom of the pool. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so there wow. was no water, it was <laughs> empty. I, I, why do they paint those things blue? If they would just paint it a different color, then I would have known that it was empty. Yeah, but it looked right. like it had water in it. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, are you, um,
0: are you not, are you sure you're not just a bird, like as a human <laughs> form? Because I'm pretty sure, you know, when things are painted blue, a lot of times birds run into it because they think it's water too. And that sounds very familiar to the that's situation.
1: That is possible. Um, however, We'll figure that question out later. First, could you actually come get me? I'm, I'm still in the pool right now. Oh. Had I'm had calling you, you from my phone. With you? Yeah. Oh. I brought the whole no. setup.
0: No, I can't. Sorry. I'm doing a podcast right now.
1: Oh, dang it. Okay. I'll give you a call after the podcast. <laughs> Anyways,
0: let's get into the news. First up, we have health organizations give patients a lift to appointments. Lyft has officially launched a program to let health organizations send prepaid rides to patients so they can get to their doctor's appointments. This is the rideshare company's most recent attempt in removing the transportation barrier for seeking medical attention. Lyft Pass for Healthcare allows health organizations and social services agencies to set approved pickup and drop-off locations. They can also set a budget for the rides. The goal is to make non-emergency medical transportation more affordable to the public. The program should make it easier for patients to request trips themselves in the app instead of waiting for the health system to do so.
1: Who pays for these rides? In the article, it's not entirely clear.
0: Sounds like the healthcare organization pays for it. They send prepaid rides to patients. So the healthcare organization pays Lyft a budget and
1: then. Right. You know, but do you think that they pass that cost on to their patient? just add another charge on their bill for the ride. Cause it's got to <laughs> yeah, come guess, from somewhere. I guess, I
0: guess you could. I mean, I guess that probably makes the most sense. Right. It right. sounds like it's like, Hey, you know, we offer this free ride service, but also you're paying for it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I guess it's a cost that they could just eat. Maybe.
1: Uh, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe they, they just- do get a really good deal on many, like a package of rides. Yeah. Um, right. And so it is pretty affordable. You know, if it's only like three or four dollars a patient, maybe that's worth it to get that patient in there in the first place. Right. Uh, I don't know. I I think it would be fair to pass that cost on. And it sounds like the patient themselves can request the ride, in which case they could easily tell them like, hey, there's going to be this charge for it. It'll show up on your bill. Though some insurance might pay for it has medical transportation
0: yeah I mean it's definitely a cool idea though I mean it makes sense especially for Lyft from a business to business perspective because they're not necessarily that kind of organization but they're starting to and you know how, what other b- way to get into it than through healthcare by offering people rides to their appointments that yeah, makes right a ton of sense and it's a cool idea for sure I'm surprised yes. there hasn't been like a startup that has done that specifically for healthcare organizations.
1: Absolutely. And and I'm pretty sure Uber has something similar. Yeah. In the article, it does say that Uber launched a, a similar yeah. medical transportation program they called Uber Health.
0: Yep. Um, yep. I remember talking about this and it came out in 2018. So it's been that's correct. It's been two years now since this has been a thing. And Lyft is yeah. a little slow. Well, I, I think enough. Lyft was
1: working on it. Yeah. Like Lyft, Lyft was in the process. <laughs> right. It just took them a little bit to, to finally get around For to Lyft do it. it. Yeah. Right. Next up, stop sleeping through class by sleeping in later. A new study researched the sleep schedule benefits of later start times for middle and high schools. Around 28,000 students and parents completed surveys before the changes in school start times and then for two years after. Elementary schools started 60 minutes earlier, middle schools started 40 to 60 minutes later, and high schools started 70 minutes later. The greatest improvements occurred for high schoolers who got an extra 3.8 hours of sleep per week. The average weekend oversleep dropped from over two hours to about 1.2 hours. This suggested that with enough weekday sleep, students were no longer clinically sleep deprived on the weekends. Middle schoolers had 2.4 extra hours of sleep per week, and there was a 12% decrease in those who reported daytime sleepiness. There were no changes for elementary students. In our local town, on Wednesdays, the teachers have a meeting that happens right when school would typically start. Mm-hmm. And so on Wednesdays, the school starts an hour later. And w- when I was a student, I was like, gosh, that would be wonderful. Starting an hour later, get more sleep, as this study suggests, would help from a health perspective. But, but the other side of the coin is traffic got terrible.
0: Yeah, and and I
1: I know that's a little yeah. selfish, but it, it does have kind of a ripple effect. There, there's more people involved in this and, and not just traffic, but the parents who have to go to work and you know have to take their kid to school before going to work and they have to be able to work at 8 AM. Mm-hmm. It, it it makes sense to then drop your kid off at like 745 right. or 730. Or Gosh, I think my school actually started at seven fifteen, which was a little early. That was that was a little much. We could probably move that a little bit and be okay. But but when the local school starts an hour later, the school traffic collides with the rush hour work traffic, and yeah. it just becomes an absolute mess. Nobody can get where they're going. It's backed up street up the street down the road around the corner everywhere. Mm-hmm. It, it's a mess. I don't know. So I mean, if I... we're going to do this. We have to think a little bit more about how we're going to alleviate all of the other effects that this will cause because we've organized the system based on drop your kid off, go to work. That is the, the order.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, call me crazy or call me a freak, but, you know, I'd rather, you know, if you if you go to school later, it means you're going to stay in school longer, right, later as well. Like Instead of getting out at three, you're going to get out at four or five. Which makes sense if you're a parent and, and, you know, it's elementary school or middle school. And for whatever reason, they, they, you don't trust your kids staying home alone. Um, or Mm -hmm. they're too young to stay home alone. That's perfect because it works out with your work schedule. But if I was a kid, you know, and I was used to, to getting up early and getting home early, I'd be kind of upset if I had to get home later and I'm already a morning person as it is. So that would definitely. I'd be like, wow, this kind of actually, this isn't fun.
1: <laughs> you know, that's a fair point. I, I know when I was in elementary school, I was the very last bus stop. And so I wouldn't get home until 4.30, almost 5 yeah. o'clock after school. And can you imagine if we started an hour later? Yeah. Like, that's past like, dinner time.
0: Yeah. Plus you got, I mean, you've got sports practice and stuff. You wouldn't get home from, from football practice until like 8. Yeah. Which is like... I mean, so then you have a late dinner. That's fine. But then you got to go to bed.
1: Do your homework. Probably later, at some do point. Your homework. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like
0: it's per, it's perfect for if you're an athlete because in high school, at least, because it's like, get out of school at three, you work or you go, you go to practice until four or five and then you come home and it, you have dinner and then you do your homework. But like right. this just pushes everything back. I mean, obviously it's the same progression in, in events, but. It makes things much longer or seem longer. I guess you could wake up early and do your homework, but that kind of defeats the whole purpose.
1: Yeah, we so we know that this would be better from a health perspective. We know that it has some very positive effects and they studied this over two years, which gets rid of the objection of, oh, well, you know, this was a temporary boost. Eventually they would settle into that routine and it would be the same, right? They would just go to bed later and get less sleep. And I think that's a fair concern, but it appears that that really isn't the case because they studied it for, for two years. All of the other things that rippled out from that, though, I, I need to know how they solved that. They had two years to, to kind of do that. So how are we going to preserve the positive effects while also not becoming so incredibly disruptive that, that nobody wants to do it? Yeah. The students are on board. It's their parents that you have to convince it's a good idea. <laughs> right, right. That's where it always comes
0: down to, the, the parents. Next up, a pledge to improve health outcomes for children. Sanford Health has launched the pledge study to identify and predict children who may be at risk for developing type 1 diabetes and celiac disease. Sanford Research will conduct screenings for infants and children during routine health visits to minimize any burden on families or providers. This is the first time a population screening of type 1 diabetes will be offered in the Midwest. Sanford Health will be able to offer education, monitoring, and early intervention for children found to have autoantibodies related to diabetes. This will help prevent serious illness and improve long-term outcomes. Patients can enroll their children in the study if they are five years or younger, receiving routine care at Sanford Health, and are not diagnosed with type 1 diabetes." I feel like every, every month or so we have a, a, a story about diabetes, which is good. Because it's, you know, one of the most common diseases. Um, and it's always, you know, it goes back to it's, it's always interesting to see the type of creativity that healthcare organizations come up with to help, um, you know, make diabetes a little bit easier to deal with.
1: Yeah. In a world where everything contains processed sugar, it's not surprising that we have such a focus on diabetes. And I will say, Based on just a quick search, diabetes is the number five most common chronic health disease. And, and yeah. number one and two are high cholesterol, high blood pressure, which are you know relatively related to diet as well. Right. Even number four is uh, heart disease or coronary heart disease, which it can also be related to sugar intake, salt intake, fat intake, those kind of things. I like the focus here on screening young people making sure that we get a a handle on things before it becomes even more serious right and when it's you know that common it makes sense to, to go after those kind of diseases now I would hope that they they have enough width within this effort to be able to say ah, you also probably want to look after these kind of things because even though High cholesterol is not going to cause huge immediate effects on a child. It can have some very serious implications moving forward and into their adult life. Right. So we can couple all of those things together, right? Into that education monitoring and early intervention. It just, just diet related things generally, providing resources on, on eating better and, and things like that have always been helpful. Now we just have Mm -hmm. to figure out how to do it more effectively so we can, you know, make a difference moving forward.
0: Agreed. With that, let's go into our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol.
1: It's a breach!
0: All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol, where we talk about the latest cybersecurity breaches all across the world.
1: First up, reserved parking spot for those with data we can access. Drivers who find parking spaces with the Park Mobile app might have had their data breached. Around 21 million accounts nationwide may have been impacted, according to a notification sent by Park Mobile. This only included basic account details. No transaction data or credit card information was compromised. The app doesn't collect social security numbers, driver's license numbers, or birth dates. Encrypted passwords were accessed, but not the encryption keys to read them. Users can change their passwords in the settings section of the app or online. The incident affected those who signed up for the app before March 17th. The incident was linked to a vulnerability in a third-party software. The company eliminated this vulnerability, launched an investigation, notified law enforcement, and is continuing to monitor its systems. Twenty-one million accounts. (laughs) If there's one thing,
0: beat around the bush. They didn't even say, like you know. They're like may have been impacted. So really, it might be more than that because they're like, you know, 21 millions may have been. So that means it could either be the maximum. Like it, it could either be like this is a worst case scenario or this could be like, you know, this is the lowest possible amount of people that could be impacted.
1: Right. Now, depends. Uh, I always have to stress that any encryption can be broken. Right. Yeah. So you should probably change your password. <laughs> it, it's a question of how long it's going to take. That, yeah. That's really the only thing with encryption. It can be broken. How long is it going to take to break? Yeah, right. Ideally, Definitely. you want
0: it to be thousands of years, but you know that's not realistic.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it could be thousands of years, but our computers are getting much faster. And then you have multiple people or multiple computers all working on it. And it just divides the time, divides the time. and Pretty soon, what used to take a 100 years is now taken an hour and a half.
0: Yeah, this is a quick turnaround, too. I mean, the incident affected those who signed in for the app before March 17th. So they figured it out within a month, you know, a little bit more than a month. But that's I a mean, right. pretty quick turnaround time. So that's good. But what's not good is the amount of users. So what are you going to do? <laughs> Next up, burned by data leak. Swinburne University of Technology in Australia has confirmed that personal information of around 5,200 staff and 100 students was available on the internet. The data was event registration information for multiple events since 2013. Details included names, email addresses, and in some cases, phone numbers. Swinburne launched an investigation which removed the information and conducted an audit across similar sites. It's currently in the process of contacting all individuals whose information was made available. This includes another 200 people not connected to the university, but who had also registered for an event and whose information was made available. So this is, you know, I mean, it's not that bad of a, of a leak overall. I'd say, you know, 5,000 staff members were affected. But what's most important when you look at this is what kind of data was actually leaked. And in this case, it's just, you know, email addresses, phone number or yeah, email addresses, phone numbers and names, which, you know, is sensitive information and it's not something you want to give freely but what could the worst that could happen really is phishing attempts
1: absolutely yeah that's that's probably the main concern also i i have to point out the slight irony of the, this university of technology being the focus of a data group. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that's a shame
1: they probably know all about it
0: i wonder if the person <laughs> who who did it was a student that was trying to Im- impress their professor or you know, put that as their resume, you know, like they want to go into cybersecurity. So they hacked their, their, uh, their college of technology so that they could put it
1: on the resume and say, Hey,
0: you know, I was a student at this university and found vulnerabilities while I was a student. So, you know, I'm good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Maybe it was one of the students just trying to get out of a test. That could (laughs) could be too. I didn't even think about the test part. (laughs) And finally, these bad actors must not have read the terms of service. Data from over 500 million LinkedIn users is being sold online to hackers. The trove of scraped data includes users' ID, full name, email addresses, phone numbers, professional titles, and other work-related data. Cyber news analysts discovered the scraped data set in an online forum and were able to verify that it was associated with the LinkedIn user accounts. It's unclear how old the data is and how it was obtained. LinkedIn said that while the data set contains some publicly viewable profile data, it's actually information from multiple companies and websites. The service said that it didn't suffer a breach involving hackers penetrating its internal database. Instead, the bad actors scraped the data from LinkedIn's public-facing service. This does, though, violate LinkedIn's terms of service. I don't know if you can yeah. call yourself a hacker if, if you just... You Compile data public scrape. data.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's Google extensions that will just data scrape off of start social media. <laughs> right. Like right. that. So, I mean, uh, I read somewhere that there was a recent, um, lawsuit against, uh, LinkedIn with regards to data scraping and, they kind of went in favor of the person who was data scraping. And they came up with like the, I think it was yeah, HIQ versus LinkedIn case. In 2019 is what happened and essentially what it said was this is from a a different source called CPO Magazine where he says the implications of the litigation between LinkedIn and HIQ were profound but the case itself is simple enough to understand. It's centered around LinkedIn's Invocation of Computer Fraud and Abuse Act in Cease and Desist Letter to HIQ. HIQ is a data analytics firm that provides business intelligence based on publicly available data scraped from LinkedIn. So what happened was, is HIQ was a data scraper and they were scraping the data. They allowed their users that used HIQ to scrape public profile data on LinkedIn, which goes against their terms of service, but they ended up... Being in favor of HIQ because it was public information because the users publicly display that information on their social media. So right. I don't necessarily, it kind of falls under the same category here.
1: Right. So, so let me put it this way. I go on a LinkedIn. I go to somebody's profile and I write down their name, their title. Maybe yeah. I get their email, their company. I send them a message. That's like all part of LinkedIn. That's what you're supposed to do is use it to find other people and talk to people and network and things like that. So if I then do the same thing a 100 times, it's still okay. Right. But if I use some kind of tool to do that for me, it's not. And and I think that's probably why it hits that gray area, because you're doing the same thing that you could do manually and be totally okay, just with a different tool. Right. You're just,
0: you know, you're working smarter, not harder. That's exactly. That is, my, is.
1: that is my, that uh, is my mantra that I live by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So it's a, uh, you know, I don't, this is an interesting, interesting predicament, but it kind of falls into the same thing. It just happens to be someone who was quote unquote a bad actor that was scraping the data, which I mean, you know, the data is there. So, right. They can do whatever they want, I guess, which is just going to end up being phishing attempts. But you don't really get their, their you're not going to get their email address from LinkedIn. That's not something that they provide. They used to, but they don't anymore. Right. It's public information. So
1: very interesting. Well, that's it for this week's wrap up of your weekly healthcare news. We'll leave you this one question. When was the last time you read the terms and service? <laughs> I'm going to go with never from me. LinkedIn's Yeah, I've never read those either, so I I wouldn't know that's the rule. I'm Alex Ross. And I'm Matt Moneypenny. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Bandage. This week's episode was written and produced by eTactics. eTactics is a leading revenue cycle solutions organization committed to providing innovative, web-based solutions that improve our clients' cash management and customer relationships. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.